And so in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, it, it's, a, it's an interesting passage of scripture because it was a time when Paul had written to the church at Corinth and he had uh, come to tell them about God and he met a Christian couple by the name of Aquila and Priscilla. Aquila and Priscilla were, uh, had a church in their house and they were, they were the leaders of this church and, and when he met them, there was something that he was uh, uh, sharing with them and he said these words as he shared with the church at Corinth. And he said these words, he says that, you know what, I didn't really come to you with eloquent speech or uh, philosophies. In other words, Paul was saying to them that I didn't come to you uh, to be a salesman. I didn't come to you to be a philosophizer, but I came to you to be a witness. Isn't that very powerful? He's saying that I didn't come to, to sell you something. I didn't come to philosophize to you. But I came to be a witness. And we know that to be a witness, you must have seen or you must have heard something so that you can give a testimony or be a witness for what you have seen or what you have heard. And so Paul says that, so what I did is I made it plain and I made it simple. 1 Corinthians chapter 2 verse 3 says that I was unable, I was unsure rather, of how to go about this. And I felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want to know the truth of it. And I don't know about you, but how many of you wanted to do something that God had instructed you to do, but you felt totally inadequate to do it? Or, or you just wanted to do something that was in your heart, but you felt inadequate, and to some degree, your inadequacies caused you to be uh, scared. Um, uh, perhaps it was an exam that you were taking, and you felt inadequate to take that exam, but later on, you you did much better than you expected to do. You know what? I took an exam, and um, it was a securities exam, and I took this exam, and it was required that you take at least two exams, uh, ex uh, 6 and 63. And I took this exam, and I was taking the 63 exam, and, and you know, you take this exam, and after you finish this exam on the computer, um, it, uh, it comes up, and it tells you your score. And so after, I don't know, an hour or so of taking this exam, I don't remember how long it was, that I'd sit in there in anticipation for like 20 seconds to know if I passed or not. And all of a sudden, I see what pops up on the screen, a 63. Now, you've got to make, I think, a 75 or 80 to pass the exam. And I go, oh, my God, I can't believe I failed that exam. And I walk out, and as I walk out, this lady at the reception just says, congratulations, Mr. Graham. I says, congratulations. She says, yes, you got a 92. I said, a 92. And then I realized that the 63 that I saw was the, t was the type of exam that I was taking. <laughs> and I went there feeling totally adequate. But how many of you know that sometimes you can overthink things? And so that was what I was intimidated about. And so uh, he says that I was unsure of how to go about this and felt totally inadequate. I was scared to death if you want the truth of it. And so nothing I said could have impressed you or anyone else. But the message came through anyway. God's spirit and God's power did it. Now what did Paul say did it? What did he say that did it? God's spirit and God's what? God's what? God's spirit and God's what? What did, what did Paul say did it? God's what? And God's what? And then in verse 5 he says, which made it clear that your life of faith 
is a response to God's power, not to some fancy mental or emotional footwork by me or someone else. And so Paul is saying to them, look, I'm not trying to emotionally get you all stirred up so that out of your emotions you can respond to what I am saying. I'm not trying to play some mental exercise on you because it goes beyond a temporary thing. And he says, but it's God's spirit and God's power that did it. And he begins to talk about that in verse 6. Come on, champions, would you read that with me like you know it is the word of his power? Now, we, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet. Now, stop right there. My God, this is the word of his power. And so we have to read it like it's the word. It has power. Amen. And, and so we have an advantage over the enemy and God wants us to have an advantage. So he has given us his word and his word is living. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two edged sword. So if we got all of those weapons, why not use it with great confidence? Amen. So let's, let's read it together like we know it is the word of his power now. We, of course, have plenty of wisdom to pass on to you once you get your feet on firm spiritual ground, but it is not the popular wisdom, the fashionable wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of date in a year or so. Oh, my God. How many times we go for experts to try to find out what we need to know? Let's keep reading together. Now, God's wisdom is something mysterious that goes deep into the interior of his purposes, and you don't find it lying around on the surface. It's not the latest message, but more like the oldest. What God determined as the way to bring out his best in us Long before we ever arrived on the scene, isn't it good to know that somebody knows how to get the best that's in you out of you? And he knew it before you ever arrived on the scene. God knew, God knew how to get his best out of you. And so notice this, that we operate as a Christ follower at a, at a higher level than those who are not Christ followers. Why? Is because we have a, an advocate, someone that we can lean on that can tell us how to get the best that's in us out of us. And so, and so someone else that is, is, is at this level, that, that, that you and I should be at this level, simply because that God knows how to take us beyond where we can take ourselves. Now look at this. Let's start at the top and let's begin to read it again. His best in us before we ever arrived on the scene. The experts of our day haven't a clue about what this eternal plan is. If they had, they wouldn't have killed the master of the God-designed life on the cross. Now stop right there. Mm. The experts of our day haven't a clue about what this plan is. You know what I went to look and I was looking uh, several years ago, I was looking at a, 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 for a book on, um, you know, exceptional, you know, I always wondered like why do, and not, not all, but generally girls uh, just 
they just keep moving. You know, they, they may go from high, middle school, elementary school, to middle school, to high school, and they just keep going like they did in elementary school. But somehow there's a disproportionate of guys, some when they get to middle, middle school and high school, that they kind of like start, start throttling back and don't really press, not all, but generally press to uh, reach the level of their potential. They just kind of take the, the pedal off the metal, the metal off the pedal, the pedal off the metal. That's it. And, and, and what's interesting is that, so I was looking for this book. It was about to understand that, to understand uh, uh, generations and how we progress and, uh, and, and how parents deal with that. And what's interesting is that I, I found this book and it was a great title. But I began to read on the back about the authors, and they don't even have children. And so they, well, they didn't have children, so it was theory. It was theory, not practice. It was theory, not practice. And so, uh, so the Bible tells us that there are some experts uh, of our day don't have a clue about what the plan that God has for us. Let's keep reading. We're going to read in verse 13. Let's read it together right now. We don't have to rely on the world's guesses and opinions. We didn't learn this by reading books or going to school. We learned it from God. That's what Paul says. We learned it from God who taught us person to person through Jesus. And we're passing it on to you in the same firsthand personal way. He's saying that Jesus Person to person taught us. And what he taught us, we're passing it on to you. And so what we know about Jesus is that we know that Jesus walked with his disciples. He taught them. But after Jesus was crucified, he went to heaven. And he's now sitting at the right hand of the Father. The Bible tells us he sits at the right hand of the Father in heavenly places in the book of Ephesians chapter 1. And so as a result of that, Jesus is not walking on the earth today. Let me make sure that's perfectly clear. Jesus is not now walking on the earth today. He is sitting in heaven at the right hand of the Father, and he's making intercessions for us. So he's not walking here on the earth like he did with the disciples that Paul is really talking about here. And so what Jesus did is he told his disciples, look, boys, I'm going away. And I have to go away because if I don't go away, you won't have this brand new life that I want you to have. So he says that I'm going away, but I am coming back again. But he said that I will not leave you as orphans, meaning that I will not leave you wandering around not knowing what direction you're headed in. So he says it like this in John chapter 14. He says it like this. I believe it's verse 26. He says, the, the helper, the father who will send in my name, the Holy Spirit shall teach you all things and remind you of what I have said while I was here. And so notice this. Jesus is no longer walking in the earth, but what he has is the what is in the earth is the Holy Spirit, whom the Father has sent. And the Holy Spirit is to teach us. Now, if God says that, look, 
before you ever arrived on the scene, I knew how to get the best out of you or the best in you out of you. Well, God, how are you going to do it? He's saying, my Holy Spirit. The Spirit will teach you and the Spirit will remind you. And that's why the Bible says as many as are led by the Spirit of God are the sons of God. It didn't say daughters. It says sons. Look, after Jesus was crucified and he rose from the dead, that men and women were referred to as sons. And the reason they referred to as sons is because the son was the one who had total access to the inheritance. And so women don't take a back seat. They've got the same rights to the inheritance as a man. Amen? And so women don't have to go through a man to get to God. They could, oh my God, there's this man by the name of Daryl Coley. You may not know him, but I know him. And he did a song. He says, said, what's in a name? And he says that um, uh, your mother may call on him. Your father may call on him. Your sister may call on him. Your brother may call on him. But you've got to know him for yourself. Because God doesn't have grandkids. He only has kids. So, so let's look at this. Whom the Father will send in my name, and he will teach you all things and bring you to remembrance all the things that I said to you. And so what's interesting here is that in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16, you know what it says? One passage that says that who can know the Spirit of God except for God? But notice this. In verse, in, in verse 16, it says it like this. Isaiah's question, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 16 is there anyone around who knows God's spirit? Anyone who knows that he is what he is doing? And then Paul says, it has been answered. Isaiah asked it in the Old Testament. Paul says it's been answered. And what was the answer? He says, Christ knows and we have Christ's spirit. We're reading that out of the Message Bible. Christ knows and we have Christ's spirit. Can anyone know God's spirit and anyone uh, know what he is doing? Christ knows it, and guess what? We have Christ's spirit. So in verse 15, if we take a verse back, notice what it says. Spiritually alive, we have access to everything God's spirit is doing. And I love what it says, and can't be judged by unspiritual critics. <laughs> hey, isn't it good to know you can't be judged by an unspiritual critic? And how many times people want to talk you out of things that God is saying? And he says that these are unspiritual critics, but spiritually alive. Notice this, he says spiritual alive, spiritual alive, spiritual alive. We have access to everything God's spirit is doing. But you know what I wanted to say today is that too many of us have gotten used to doing without the power, powerful presence of the Holy Ghost. Too many of us have got so used to doing without the presence of the Holy Spirit in our spiritual life and also in our churches. And I want you to evaluate and take this yourself because I want to ask you just a rhetorical question and that is, do you feel at times your spiritual life is dry and mechanical? It's routine. That's rhetorical. Do you serve a Jesus? You talk about in the Bible, but what you see Jesus doing in the Bible that you don't see it being done in the earth through you. If we ask ourselves these questions, I believe it's important that we recognize that there is only one thing more powerful than the seeing the Spirit work in someone else's life. 
only one thing that's more powerful than seeing the Spirit work in someone else's life, and that is seeing the Spirit work in your own life. And when we look at that, it's important then that we recognize then and understand this Holy Spirit. It's important that, as Paul says, that there is a wisdom that God will give us, and it is not the wisdom of high-priced experts that will be out of season in a year or so. I love the way the New King James and the King James Version says it. It says that, for this wisdom is not the enticing words of man's wisdom, but the power and demonstration of the Holy Ghost, Holy Spirit. Now notice this. It is not the enticing words of man's wisdom. So, so how, but, the, but the demonstration and power of the Holy Spirit. When Paul says that I did not come to be a salesman, I did not come to philosophize, but I came to be a witness. Do you have something to witness about that God has done supernaturally in your life? And Paul began to tell them, look, my desire is that we, we come and not just say that this is the day of deliverance, not just say this is the day of restoration, but my desire is we come and we see deliverance. We know restoration has taken place. My desire is come and says that God's the same, not that we come and say God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. How he healed yesterday, he'll heal today, and he'll heal tomorrow, but we don't see healings. We don't see miracles. We don't see signs and wonders. So what is it? The enticing words of man's wisdom where we talk about a God that's in the Bible that seems so irrelevant today. But the power of God still is available to heal, to deliver, and to restore. And I believe that if we get in a position to receive, he says that I've got this wisdom to share with you once you get on strong spiritual ground. And he says that those that are spiritually alive will know what God desires to do. <laughs> 